So, are you curious? Welcome to the Curiosity Codex. I am your ardent enthusiast, Adam Wilson. With me is my hapless cohort, Rob Cabasco. We are continuing our trek through the stars and keeping our restaurant metaphor going. So now I'm going to present to you menu item number two. What if we stayed in one place? Because my next contribution to say, if, if perhaps Enterprise was not your cup of tea, then From perhaps a, a cup of Rectogino it's Star Trek Geek Space Nine. Oh. So, nice. uh, f- I, I, full confession, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is my favorite of the Star Trek series. Uh, it's one of my favorite really? series of all time, but it is my favorite of all of the shows. Oh. Uh, so, it is, I think it is interesting because it is the most modern of feeling of the show, even though it was made in the 90s. Like, it feels more like what shows are now. I mean, there are Star Trek shows airing now, which we'll talk about, but like it, it feels like it was it was ahead of its time so much that when it came out, it was not incredibly well-loved. There was a, 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 a strong fan base uh, dedicated to it, but the casual fans who had come over from Next Generation were sort of like, oh, this is this is a different thing. Like, in using a restaurant metaphor, this is not what I ordered. <laughs> well, the, well, this this is a little bit of a... Uh... Uh, along the big uh, booth at the end of the restaurant and uh, tapa, uh, tapas, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's a tapas bar. Like that and Deep Space Nine. I, my one of my memories from it is it was the you know the old joke was it was Deep Space Nine hundred two one zero, right? Because they tried to make it more like the neighborhood and 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 just you know in terms of the interaction of characters coming and going. But I will tell you this: I have, I have a theory, and this is not to get you know too too far into to the story of it. I think one of the things that that next generation viewers found difficult is that it was not chummy. The main character of this of this show yeah. was not chummy with the main character of next generation. No, no, that is a, that is established very quickly. And I do, yes, it, well, no, in the, in the in the first episode in the pilot. And I think that that is something that if people came over and said, "Oh, I just, oh, this is this is next generation plus," mm-hmm. yeah, it's no, not, it's not at it's, all. Yeah, it was, it was it was such a different flavor. That uh, people were were really surprised and and uh, and so that that ended up causing a little bit of backlash because they were still running at the same time like basically like like they they didn't stop one series to start another they they overlapped so you could do so the idea was that right. once you had once next generation had gone off into feature films that you would then your television audience would come over to Deep Space Nine. That's not exactly what happened. Uh, they, they actually picked up more people from outside and less of Next Generation fans. They sort of moved on and, and did something else. And then, of course, the franchise reacted, but we're going to get to that in a previous episode because right now we're going to focus on this show in particular. So let's get cooking. Uh, so the usual setting of a Star Trek series is a wandering starship. Uh, the idea is that they are in a ship, they show up, they find a problem, Antics ensue. They solve the problem and they head out. So it's 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 like it's like your typical episode of Supernatural. The boys roll into town. They fight a monster. They get back in the the car and they off they go. And so that that's the idea. So the this is called what we what we uh, fans call the reset button because basically at the end of every episode they hit the reset button and they forget everything that happened. Because in nothing that happened in the course of the episode ever affects any other episode. And why is this the case? Because of the power of syndication. 
So back at this time period, especially the big money was in syndicated shows. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into the television lore and, and, and how the business worked. But the idea was you had a lot of shows that when the you have your prime, you had your prime time shows. But when you were owned a little station, you know, you'd say, you know, uh, you had KMSTP or whatever in, in Minneapolis. You had your primetime shows, but then you had all this other time you had to fill. So you had hours and hours of shows. So you would buy shows and you would slot them in that would go after, before, and around all the big primetime shows. This is you know, this is how Friends made all their real money. How Seinfeld still is making all the real money is in the syndication market. So what syndication wants from these is shows that wrap up and you don't have to think about what happened before or what happened after. They just want any 44 minutes of people coming in sci-fi and aliens and shooting and then they're done and then that they move on. So that's been the, that was the premise of the very first Star Trek, the original series, which we'll talk about in a future episode. Um, Next Generation, Voyager, like all of these, uh, Enterprise, even the current shows are on, are, are sort of, on that, of that idea is that it's they roll into town, they do something, they roll out of town again. But when they were coming up with a show after, they thought, well, we already have done multiple seasons of the Star Trek Enterprise, uh, you know, the, the, the USS Enterprise with NCC-1701D going on all of its adventures. We can't really just do that again. But they, they started thinking, what else can we do? And the big question became, what if the crew had to stay and deal with the ramifications of their actions. And that's what formed the premise of Star Trek's Deep Space Nine. Let's talk about the world of Deep Space Nine. So, uh, obviously the, the big thing is that it is not set on a ship, it is set on a space station, so they stay there. So the, the original premise of uh, the original series of Star Trek was billed as Wagon Train to the Stars. So that was a, a Western show that was very popular at the time that they was it was all about the, the journey. Well, this was Gunsmoke. So the idea is that they are staying there. So it's I was thinking it's also different between Supernatural and Buffy the Vampire Slayer because Buffy is in a town and having to deal with what happens in the town. And so this is what this is. They're, they're at town. So let's talk about the timeline then. Okay, so this is 2369. And so there's a... Nice. There is a new thing that you're going to have to get used to that we did not talk about in Enterprise, and that is the Federation. So since the time of Enterprise, the starfaring races have come together and formed something called the Federation. So the Federation is a UN in space, kind of, that all these major starfaring races, you know, the, the nice ones... Uh, have come together and, and organized and pooled their resources. Uh, and the humans are a vital part of this, and they're sort of leading the charge. So that's why Starfleet headquarters is on Earth. Uh, isn't that nice? So they can just go to Southern California and, and shoot something out there. Um, but Vulcans are still involved and still around there. So from the Federation, we get bureaucracy. We get a code of conduct. We get the Prime Directive, which doesn't really apply here, but I'm not, but uh, you know it's, it's part of the thing. We have a command structure, and most importantly, we have... Starfleet. So Starfleet is what Star Trek shows are about. It's about the people going out there. So there is a federation that's sort of running the business of it, but Starfleet are the ones who are out there in the starships and the fancy colored jumpsuits, you know, shooting aliens and, and talking down gods. Like those are the Starfleets are one out. So all the officers we talk about on Deep Space Nine are Starfleet officers. Enterprise, they weren't because there wasn't a Starfleet yet, but here they are. So 
things have changed and there's much more a bigger organization. Vulcans are still around. They're still a big deal for the Federation, but they're not really a major part of Deep Space Nine. They they sort of come and go. There there are different people who there are Vulcans that are serving. There there are a lot of them in Starfleet, so they they'll come and go. But there are none of the, our main characters on the show. Um, you need to know about the Klingons, though. So the Klingon Empire is a major major factor in here. They have been around since the original series, even though they looked a little different. But if you've watched all of Enterprise, you'll know why they looked a little different. So, uh, so the Klingons. How 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 do we go about telling people about Klingons? Okay, so they're kind of like Russian. But they're also like Vikings. They're very proud, uh, and they're they're very militaristic. They have a very well-developed warrior culture. They're a big thing about honor. So they have very strict things about honor, and your honor is passed on through your family, and you can be dishonored, and, and there's there's houses that are, are part of the family, all these things. Uh, so they are really good fighters, physical hand-to-hand fighters, and also their ships are really, really powerful as well. So there's been a lot of conflict uh, between what became the Federation, and, the, and actually it is a Klingon that first showed up on Earth in the first episode of Enterprise that caused sort of the problem, even though they were only lightly sort of involved because most of the Klingon stuff happens later. So since the time of Enterprise, uh, the Klingons have been a major pain in people's butts, and, and we'll get into exactly how big of a pain in, in other uh, things because that has happened. But the past here is that they were a major force, and then they had an ecological disaster on one of their moons and had to come to the Federation and be like, uh, we're in trouble, which was really hard for the Klingons to do. And that turned into a whole series of events. But at this point, that means there is a peace treaty between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. So everything is cool right now. Uh, so much so that there actually is a Klingon serving in Starfleet. Uh, he is not in the in the first couple of episodes of Adidas Nine. He will show up eventually, but when he does, I wanted you to be aware <laughs> because the Klingons are have a ma- are a major major factor uh, in Deep Space Nine as it goes on. But right now, everything's cool with the Klingons. They're doing their Klingon thing. We're doing our Federation thing. We're all fine. Um, the other major threat you need to know about is the Borg. Okay, so the Borg are a major bad bad guy force in Star Trek. Uh, they are cyborgs so the idea is that let me see how to how do you explain the borg in, a, in an easy way without uh having people just click off and, and click on episode of crime junkies um the <laughs> the borg are cyborgs obviously uh okay let's say it this way they're if they're a hive so there's a hive mentality to them so every worker is just a drone so they're not individual people they're they're just part of a collective that's the borg collective but instead of making baby Borg, they go out and turn other insects into bees. Does that make sense? It's, it's uh, I mean, based heavily on Doctor Who's Cybermen. Yep. I mean, where it is, it's organic material. It's, it's, it's some level of, of and humanoid Star- creatures. And, uh, and Superman 3. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Wow, that's a cut. cut. Um, Yeah, and and then boom, like they they are uh, they're a virus. I mean, they literally their their unity, their unity and their growth is their whole part of their existence. Right, and I guess like a little bit just to be bigger. And Borg is and the and the Borg is also to be to be more powerful and bigger and grow faster by assimilating yes. the culture and the science and everything of the the things that they're trying to absorb. Right. And so yeah, so they instantly get it and then everyone they all have it. So they because they share 
uh, you know, like, like a hive mind when they right. get a new piece of technology, then all of the Borg have it because they're all in communication with each other. So they have the, so they are a, as opposed to a individual, you have to deal with them. They are speak with one voice. So they're never really defeated. They're only ever stopped. So they every time they show up, they try and do something different because they're always changing, always evolving, always learning. And one of the things they did is they found the captain who originally they encountered and they turned him into a Borg. So that was Captain Jean-Luc Picard of uh, so spoilers for if you haven't watched The Next Generation. But at some point he gets taken by the Borg and turned into a character called Locutus. So he became the leader, quote unquote, of the Borg. They tried to like take all his leadership abilities and spread it to the Borg. Do that, and they got pretty darn close. Like they actually like uh, cut a swath through the Federation. They were about to assimilate Earth, and they were stopped. They were stopped at a major battle called Wolf Three Five Nine. That's the name of the star that they were they were nearby, and that becomes important because our main character. Uh, the the lead character of these sides was also at Wolf Three Five Nine fighting against things. So essentially, he was trying to stop the lead character of the show that preceded the one that we're uh, we're talking about today. So you can already see that there's a little conflict built in between the two of them, and that. Right. That is literally how the first episode of Deep Space Nine starts, so I'll let that the show tell you exactly what it is. But just to set you up, because it was a major, major moment in Next Generation history, and so they had assumed everyone knew it when they go in it. But if you're coming in cold, you did not. Now you have a rough idea. And just put in a little perspective on this, when that episode aired in Next Generation, probably one of the greatest cliffhangers in television history at the time it happened. Yeah. So it was culturally significant. And I and I love one of their highest rated episodes. Oh, I would expect absolutely. And and yes, Deep Space Nine uses this. the whole reason why you're doing this is yeah. because the whole crux of the main protagonist in Deep Space Nine is all forged from this event. Yes, which you shall you will see. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, who else are the are the major players we need to talk about? Okay, so we have uh, the Cardassians. So, the Cardassians, one of many races that were encountered, and but they are, they have a major empire out there. They they showed up in Next Generation a bunch of times, uh, but here at Deep Space Nine, we're really gonna get into their lore a lot. But just to sort of prepare you for what they are, uh, the Cardassian Empire is kind of like the last days of Rome. So they're all very regal, very proud, very intelligent. Uh, they're also very reptilian. <laughs> if you see them, they're gray-skinned. They have um, sort of uh, lines that run uh, along their, their wider necks, and they have a mark on their forehead. They, they, sometimes they're derogatorily called spoonheads because they have this round mark in the middle of their head. Um, they are a lot of scales. They're very a lot scaly. Of scales. Yeah, they're very yeah, very gray scaly. All of them. Um, and so yeah, so they're they have their they, they're very charming and thing, but they're also really paranoid and militaristic and and scheming. If you fight with a Klingon, the Klingon's going to come at you with his bat left, which is uh, his his sword. He's going to bury it in your skull, screaming in your face the whole time. A Cardassian's going to invite you to dinner. Uh, and you'll be having a wonderful, charming time, and you won't even notice the knife has been stuck into your chest. That is totally correct. That's exactly <laughs> You're it. Both, you die both ways, but there's a, there's different methods of doing it. So the How they, they will kill have a you. smile on their face while they do it. And um, your liver will be dessert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and so they uh, had been, they had conquered a, 
a planet of people named the Bajorans. So it's the planet's Bajor, so they're the Bajorans. So they had conquered them and were using them as their, let's say, workforce. So we don't have to use some uh, uncomfortable terminology, even though they, they do get into that in the show. Uh, so for 40 years, the Cardassians have been occupying Bajor and using them as the workforce. So the... The, basically, the choice you had when you were on there is either you become an indentured worker, like you're basically, you, know, you you have to do what they do, or you rise up against them, and then you become a terrorist. So, like, those are your two choices when you're, you're Bajoran. So now, after 40 years, the Cardassians, because their empire is crumbling, have stepped away, and Bajor is now free for the very first time. And now the Federation has come in to try to help keep the peace and also to keep the Cardassians from just swooping in and taking it back again. So that is where sort of the story begins. The, the, the space station that the Cardassians used was called Terok Nor, and now that the Federation has come in, they have rechristened it Deep Space Nine. Uh, and so that is where the, the name of the show and, and the central premise that comes from is is that. Uh, the Bajorans are a fascinating people. They had not really been explored. There had been a, a major Bajoran character who had served on the Enterprise named uh, Ensign Rolaren. So we had seen them before, but you don't really need to know much about what they are. They're... They're very passionate, very spiritual people. Uh, they are—you uh, can tell they look just human, except they have a a nose ridge. So, sort of running down the middle of their nose, they have sort of like a a, a ripple. Uh, and then they also have a earring that they wear on one side, which has a lot of cultural significance for them. So, it, it indicates their their caste, their their uh, their history, their family, all all that kind of thing. Um, and so, those are the. And other than that, they they look like regular. So, so you don't really need to know a huge amount of them because. All of their lore is explored over the course of the series, but they were both of these were both known races uh, when we come in. That's pretty much where, where you, you need to be when the show starts. So why is Deep Space Nine important? Why do we need to talk about it? So there's always been this thing in Star Trek about how progressive they are, because Star Trek is incredibly progressive. It is all pro-science, all that kind of thing. So if you have a problem with that, you're not going to like Star Trek. So thank you for listening this far. <laughs> you yeah. can step off now because like that this is this is Star Trek is, is 100 percent uh progressive about these things but the, what's interesting about deep space nine is they because they don't get to just like come in see these people and leave they have to live with what's going on and the bajorans are an incredibly religious people and so that is fundamentally built into the show and so they there's a couple of episodes of next generation even that are I would say close to a screed against religion, uh, but here they they actually have a much more nuanced thing of saying like, look, the, some people are ardent believers in this stuff. It doesn't make sense to make them good or bad. It's just what they believe, and it turns out that there actually is a basis to the Bajoran religion. Without spoiling too much of the show, there is right. something to it. And we get to see both good and bad religious people in the course of it. There are there are believers. Uh, in this, in the the faith of the Bajorans, who are terrible people, and there are believers who are wonderful people, and you get to see that push pull that it's not just about if you believe, but how you go about these things. I mean, it's they've never really had this much nuance to any of these things in Star Trek when it came to religion. So there's always been a a, a push and pull between the creative people, the, the writers behind the scenes, and the executives who don't want to push the envelope, who don't want to ruffle any feathers, who just want to make the money. So in terms of that, Deep Space Nine tended to win the creative battles more often, but 
I'm not going to say it is the most progressive show ever. They had a lot of stuff going for them. And, and, and uh, even in the documentary that was just released a couple of years ago, they, they talk about this. They were one of the first, they're the first Star Trek show, but one of the first shows to have a black man as the lead character. And he was a single father. And like his show, his son grows up over the course of the of the series. That was a big deal. They had the first same gendered kiss. They dealt with PTSD. They dealt with sexual assault. They dealt with gender identity. They dealt with white savior complex. They dealt with male supremacy. I mean, they got into all of this stuff. They got their hands dirty uh, and they did it while still telling really complicated sci-fi stories. Now, I'm still grading on a curve. They, they, this is the term they used in the thing, saying like, yes, we did a lot, but there's a lot of stuff we didn't do and we didn't push far enough. So they're, they're quick to point out that this is still in the realm of Star Trek. Like, <laughs> they're, they're more progressive than a lot of the other Star Trek shows, but not as much as a lot of other shows out there who are doing much more of the heavy lifting. So understand that. And there also are more, there are Star Trek shows that are more progressive than Deep Space Nine, and we'll get into that. But for the time, right, it was pretty daring. The- no, for the for the early to mid 1990s. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something. For those of you who think, well, that's not long ago. Oh, it's long enough. You yeah. can go into a long dissertation about wow, uh, uh, there were many people of different of different uh, situations that were treated incredibly unfairly and caustically in the 90s. Yeah. We lived through it. I mean, yeah. because you wouldn't have believed because because at the time you would not have believed the outrage. I mean, yeah. like and oh, the outrage yes. that that the angry like, letters. Well, and, and the outrage that could be exhibited, well, how I'll say this, yeah, by all segments of society, because I mean, like it wasn't any particular sort of point of view you would think. No, you'd get the outrage just came from everywhere. Yeah, because we had different times. Everybody, I mean, we're we're in a better place. We're getting there. We're moving. We're making progress. We're moving, yeah, we're moving forward. Yeah. Um, it's slow sometimes. It's slower than it should be sometimes, yeah. and I understand and, that. And even yes. and they even acknowledge that too. Like like in the right. in the courses, they said like we we tried a bunch of stuff. We didn't try a bunch of things, and we shouldn't be held up as an example for that because you know we there there's things that they never got to talk about so okay so a little throwback to episode to the first episode of the star trek series in this yes i think deep space nine is the closest to star wars in all of star trek interesting because it is much more it is much more of a balance between faith and reason yeah that's true and especially when you see it all the way through uh to the end when you yeah. find out what happens to a certain character like yeah okay yeah it's way more in it's way more balanced i won't say it's more in the faith than the reason no because the, the science and the yeah, and, but and politics it, are all part of that right and it was part of the conversation of the show all the way yes. through yes no and absolutely so i will say like i remember i have fond memories of watching it because uh, this was like my post college, I was still maybe in college, but in post college time, and I and I just do remember, like there was a point where, like there was a tipping point in the show where I got really invested in it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it was because of what the show, why the show still has legs today, is the the deep character arcs yes. that were out that were were to be developed. Wow, and again, I mean, and again, because you're planted, like it's not like you know you could have you when you when you have a traveling show, right? Traveling circus show, like mm-hmm. like any of the typical Star Trek shows is, you can deal with stuff over maybe an episode or two, but then, well, the ship goes someplace else, and something now happens that affects four different characters, and you could just forget about that character for a while. Yeah, no, that that's not how this show is. <laughs> no, no, this show is everybody. This show really focuses on the 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 familia the 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 family sort of dynamic that grows from a bunch of people working together 24/7. Yeah. 
yeah and having to to deal with all of the 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 good and bad and that's the other thing is that the these the federation the starfleet component is fairly small like the actual crew that's on there is really the the rest of the characters that are on there are all from there like from the Bajor area so like the chief of security has been the chief of security since before the cardassians came in like he's and so he he is like basically like you know i'm like okay um i was here before the federation came in when you guys run away i'm still gonna be here like he's another alien race that's odo well he has this huge story arc um the captain's sort of first officer is a bajoran ex-terrorist like she was known as like one of the most aggressive of terrorists and now she is an administrator and so what is what is that like like what are, what are you going to do there uh they they have the bar that's on there is run by a ferengi which, which you know we won't get into all that stuff because they ferengi are really explored over the course of of deep space nine and you get into there but their main thing is their religion is profit so their whole thing is making as much money as they possibly can their whole system is built on caste system of who has the most money so you have him who has a completely different perspective on all of them who doesn't care at all about war or peace or or the federation he just cares about what's good for his business right and yeah and then you have like you have a uh a cardassian who's there who's just a simple tailor like he's not an ex-spy or anything he's just a just a tailor uh, well, you know, do you, do you get like, I mean, as you're going through all those, the thing that yeah. really hits me is, is that Deep Space Nine, what I think is also part of what they try to do is when you have, okay, shows that deal with, like we talked about, you know, Enterprise and the mm-hmm. and the and the follow through, you know, kind of in some sort of weird way, pre prefacing the original series, but then obviously being produced after you're trying to show racial diversity and you're yes. trying to show the difference between cultures. Yeah. This show is about the difference between beliefs, value systems. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Entire ways of life. And and that's why it becomes far more interesting as yeah. a as a character driven narrative. Like, I mean, because there are no easy answers. Like, it, the there's a lot of gray. Exactly. Of yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. The, the whole show sort of exists in the gray of like bad people can do good things. Good people can do bad things. Actually, that that's, becomes yes. a major arc over there is like, how far are you willing to go to do good? Like, are you willing to take on terrible, terrible things knowing that the good will be at the end of it? Because there's a a huge sort of war arc that happens towards the course of the end of the series that changes everyone. Uh, and like, that's, that's the major difference also between Deep Space Nine and most of the rest of the Trek shows is that the characters as they end are vastly different yes. than the way they started. Not only like in looks, some are even played by different actors so that there's a little and i'm not talking about recasting either it's a, no it's no another right. thing um but their outlooks their 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 opinions even the side of the of who they are fighting on change over the course of it because of the the journey they're on none of the people are the same at the end as they were at the beginning which can't be said of a lot of trek shows which are basically like you could take a season seven episode plug it into season one and you just go oh that was a pretty good episode for a season one <laughs> But no, like there's things change dramatically over it. And they're also one of the first of the Star Trek shows to 
quietly do serialized storytelling where characters actually remembered things that happened from episode to episode and they would reference events that happened which almost never happened on star trek show no one would ever talk about like oh back when we met the these guys for the first time like oh wow like you actually you actually watched that episode you know (laughs) <laughs> the characters actually uh, would change based on things that happened to them in episodes as opposed to just resetting back to the default that they were before. So uh, warnings as you approach this, now, this won't be quite as 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 big of a deal uh, as we made with Enterprise. Um, the show is not in HD. Uh, it, is, it is and it is in 4.3 you know, square formatting. And when you watch it, no matter where you watch it, it's going to be a little grainy. That's just the nature of the beast. Like the, unfortunately, um, they did not get the super deluxe HD remaster process that some of the other shows did. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the ugly stepchild of Star Trek. It sits from in the middle. Um, okay, well we're, we're here. So let's get a little bit nerdy. So the original series was shot on film. So when they decided to go back and look at them again, they found they actually could get really high definition masters of it and they just redid all the special effects. And so when you go out now, you can see really nice remastered, high quality versions of the original series from the 60s. Uh, with Next Generation, they were into video, but they still had a lot of those that, that stock there. So they were able to do the same kind of thing. By the time they were shooting Deep Space Nine, they had switched all the way over to video. So when they shot it, they shot straight on video. They never used any film at all. So to go back through, they would have to do a complete digital remaster. I think, and it was incredibly expensive. And honestly, they don't believe that Deep Space Nine has the fandom to support the cost that it would do that. Right. I'm hoping that someone can make the case for, hey, since there's this Paramount Plus thing and you want to get more people on there, how about we spend some money and make it look better? And just make it available on streaming, like yeah, right? Yeah, that'd be one way to right do it. Now, it is, it is unfortunately the worst looking of all of the Star Trek series. Yes. Because yes. of that reason, like they to, to go back in would, would cost so much time and money. I can, I can tell you that there is a... There is a fan contingent out there who has figured out how to do a in-camera digital remaster thing. They actually are have, have figured out a way that if you've seen some of the stuff like they just did uh, something recently with um, Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up, where they made it look like it was 4K. Well, there's actually people are starting to do that for Deep Space Nine. They're running it through these processors to try and look better. And I've seen some of the test footage, and it looks really good. So I'm hoping that that like maybe uh, Paramount will like reach out and go, "Yeah, how'd you do that? Let us let us run it over our masters and uh, and export into some some great looking stuff." So it'll never be true chapter-based episodic trek that would take decades until they were allowed to do that uh and if you're interested in hearing about that well i don't know about you but i'm sort of full from the from this meal of deep space nine so we'll have to wait until next time to discover what happens when classic trek tropes meet the modern streaming expectations of today's discerning audiences uh we'll be talking about today while we're looking at the past so for now uh we're gonna the kitchen is closed. I'm off to visit Cork's Bar and share a pint with Morn. Uh, Deep Space Nine is available at uh, all sorts of things. Paramount Plus is one of the big things, but I think it's on multiple streaming platforms. Uh, you can you can check it out there and check it out. And start with the first episode. 
it's 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 a really good one and it sets the the bar for everything and you kind of need to see it because it ties directly into the last episode because they're they're really really good writing that that way so enjoy your time on deep space nine we'll be back to talk about another trek through the stars Thanks so much for listening. This has been the next chapter in the Curiosity Codex, but there are still many pages left to decipher. We're part of the True Story FM family of podcasts. Find out more about us at truestory.fm. Our theme music is Intrusion by Severed Personality, a.k.a. Kevin McLeod. The voice of the Codex is Vicki Hall. Find her on the web at vickihall.squarespace.com. My co-host is Rob Cabosco. Find him with me on the Marvel Movie Minute podcast. And my name is Kyle Olson. The codex is closed for now.